Hey, welcome along to Top Shelf Tech for our September security brief. And we are joined once again uh, by Ian White from ZX Security. Morning, hey, Ian, how good. are you going? Very good, thanks. Pretty cool this morning in Wellington, hence the swan dry, but uh, <laughs> I'm surviving. Uh, very nice. Uh, good, good to mix up the office attire sometimes, I think. Yeah, for sure, yeah. <laughs> cool. So uh, today we're going to uh, dive into DDoS attacks um, in New Zealand, which has obviously um, very become very topical in the last uh, last week. And uh, if you are watching, if you're watching us live uh, on any social media platform, feel free to drop a comment in, and we will uh, look to also pick those up and answer them uh, live as we go as well. So um, uh, yeah, if you've got any questions on the topic, um, do do throw them in the comments. We'll go from there. But Ian, um, look, maybe just to start in very simple terms, what is the nature of a DDoS attack and what, what makes these DDoS attacks uh, so different to what we might normally see? Uh, I suppose the so the, a very basic um, from a DDoS, a DDoS attack would be simply someone overloading traffic to your website or to your application and then effectively your website's not able to function because of the amount of traffic being pushed towards it. Um, and what was the second question? Sorry, um, Jeremy. And, and what 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 is it about these attacks that means they're making front page news? And um, what's what's yeah. about this? Well, from again to at a very high level, um, what's making front page news here is that I suppose the the people that are the sorry the institutions they're attacking are high profile institutions that potentially one should argue that they should have certain mitigations or PCP plan processes in place that these shouldn't be significant outages and that their businesses should be able to maintain. So I think it's the, the profile of the organizations they're attacking and the lack, well, the perceived lack of security um, is, is, is a big thing. Now these uh, you know, DDoS attacks, uh, as they originated, were often nuisance orientated. So I'm going to take down a site because I don't like what it's saying, or uh, you know, it could be uh, kids in schools getting uh, DDoS attacks targeted against their schools and uh, at exam time. So oft often, uh, just to cause disruption, uh, these these seem quite different, quite fin um, financially motivated. Yeah, they do for sure. Yeah, because it's just exactly what you're speaking about, about yeah, students coming up to exams, not wanting to do exams. We have seen a number of those cases over the past couple of years in New Zealand, and they're pretty easy to do. And again, with small infrastructure of schools, it should be pretty easy to do as well, too. Um, but yeah, they they seem um, to be pretty targeted um, at certain organizations, for sure. And I do know um, from listening to Andrew Little um, speaking about it, um, he has wisely said he doesn't know where it's coming from um, I think that's the best uh, mode um, from his point of view because if I were in his shoes I for sure wouldn't be giving any hints that I know who's doing it because if you do then you'll under then they'll know oh crap they're onto us so I think it's uh, good for him to be to be keeping his mouth shut and so the um, the commercialization of these attacks um, you can uh, both buy attacks online so you can um, swipe a credit card or put some Bitcoin in and say I want to target this Tech on the flip side, you've got um, what looks like uh, very high value uh, targets here, where people are asking for reportedly about um, three hundred and fifty thousand New Zealand dollars in Bitcoin ransoms to stop the uh, attacks. Is the nature of cybersecurity in general becoming more commercially orientated? Yeah, for sure. Uh, to give you an example, uh, we ran a specific campaign a number of years ago outside DDoS attacks. 
um, around phishing campaigns. And yeah, you could go on to uh, the dark net and buy a phishing campaign as if it were a bespoke, beautiful boutique uh, organization on the high street of Wellington. They would um, have linguistic um, translators for you, um, full-time graphic designers, a full team that could bespokely build like a beautiful solution to fish an adversary or whomever it may be that you wanted to attack. So from a commercialization point of view, they've definitely come up to play here because if you look at it from a risk reward point of view, a lot of these organizations are probably based in countries or areas that don't have certain treaties with, with countries as well too. So they can attack without zero risk. And uh, their risk is, oh, we've got to create this thing and put up a bit of cost incentive or investment into building this thing. Mm. And the outcome is pretty easy. We either get it or we don't. And if we do one in 10, we're probably going to get a bit of money in our bank account. So it's uh, it's pretty easy to do, which is, which is kind of scary. So we've moved from um, muggings on the street corner to organized crime type sophistication. Yeah, it's pretty funny. There was a, a, a GIF or whatever you want to call it, a meme the other day I saw of yeah, the mafia uh, looking up how to do ransomware, um, which is, which is <laughs> yeah. so maybe that's the way it's going. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, why, why are these DDoS attacks so hard uh, to uh, seemingly so hard to prevent and uh, secondly, what what would you recommend to businesses that are, go, uh, are seeing this activity and saying, what should I be doing? You mentioned VCP plans earlier. Uh, what what are the options to uh, to mitigate against such attacks? Yeah, I think they're hard to prevent because again, the lack just in general, the lack of security or robustness of like knowledge around security is a big thing, and it's forever going. Yes, you could argue that certain a certain amount of these organisations should have certain security processes in place where there shouldn't be an issue, but I would always go back to just like you said, the BCP plan stuff. Um, so in relation to mitigations for anyone who's listening or anyone who doesn't know, uh, the GCSB just brought out a proactive ad, uh, release, I think, uh, two or three days ago, uh, which is in conjunction with their Australian counterpart as well, too, which is definitely worth reading. That will go through certain things around setting up BCP plans um, and also understanding a big thing is that uh, one or two clients that have contacted us have said, oh crap, what are we going to do? But like from their business model point of view, a DDoS attack wouldn't really affect their organization. So it's understanding whether this is actually in your path, if this happens, if this is going to cause disruption or not, um, and what mitigation plans to put in place. Because for a large number of online organizations or ones from a reputational risk point of view that are backed by the government or big institutions, for sure, reputational would be re reputational risk would be a big thing and potentially financial loss. But just understanding, is this actually a thing? Like, does this really affect our organization or something? Um, and having a BCP plan, testing a BCP plan. And for what people don't know, a BCP plan is a business continuity plan. So ensuring if something goes down or something happens, what processes in place we need to put in to maintain some form of business um, for a sustained period of time. So you can either, part of your BCP plan may be going out and contracting third-party within IT to investigate certain things as well too to make sure that everything is up and running and everything's back to normal. So um, failing to, to if you don't have a BCP plan, if you are uh, caught by whether it's an attack like this or a ransomware attack, mm -hmm. should you ever pay the um, the ransom, you know, um, the the um, fee to uh, to stop an, uh, an, a DDoS attack or to unlock your files? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, so I do, I do know Declan, who works at CERT, which is Commuter, um, Computer Emergency Response Team, uh, which is a crown entity based out of the NBIE building, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, in Wellington. Um, and 
they are an organization tasked with helping businesses around New Zealand that have been fished or ransomware or compromised. And their best practice would be to suggest never to pay ransomware. Um, effectively, you know, George W. Bush during uh, the war is like, we do not negotiate with terrorists. That's kind of the, 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 the way that they see things. And I, I do agree with that largely. Um, but often what happens is organizations that haven't set up um, BCP plans or aren't aware of kind of security in general and get um, attacked um, via ransomware or via DDoS attacking and need to pay some form of ransom to be able to sustain their business. Unfortunately, that's the only way that they can sustain their business. Um, recently, um, we've actually dealt with a friend of ZX Security that had been subject to ransom. Um, and we recently, in the last two or three days, had to pay one Bitcoin, which I think is about $17,000 worth of money. Um, and then there's, I think, around a $2,000 transaction fee as well, too, which is another hefty piece on top of that. Um, but that was the only way to get them back up and running because they had never had any backups. That was their only form of generating revenue for their livelihood. Um, so we created some form of a BCP plan and some form of action so that when they did pay the ransom, that it, they couldn't be attacked again. So again, the big thing, the lesson that I would suggest to take from that is that that is your only option and you've tried to look at every other option, ensuring that once you do that, you don't just leave everything as it is. You have plans in place straight away to fix everything, back up everything, so that if it does happen again, you're not gonna be paying that ransom again. Um, a very interesting case is what happened with um, Garmin a number of months ago that were held up for ransom. What actually happened with them was very interesting. The US government put out a release saying that, again, we do not negotiate with terrorists and dealing with certain organizations that have ransom um, is dealing with terrorism. So if you negotiate or transfer money to them, you're effectively dealing with terrorists and then you're gonna be culpable as well too. So what? Wow. from what we understand, what Garmin did is they actually dealt with a third party based out of France to pay their ransom. And um, so it wasn't to them, uh, which is pretty interesting. And that sets yeah. a very interesting precedent in itself. So yeah. you need to pay a ransom because you need to get back to work. You need to back up everything and finally create a BCP plan. But if you do, you're going to get held up against a wall by the US government. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I mean, uh, you know, um, cha challenging when you're in that situation. And um, I'm you know, sure your advice like ours would be uh, to try to prepare for these things and think about some of the scenarios that, um, you know, could could impact your business, and and you know, it's not just about cybersecurity, um, but you know what what you need to do to uh, protect your systems. And uh, look, some of the advice we give to our clients: these these attacks are launched across um, the internet. The internet is increasingly critical to business because all our SaaS apps hang out there, all our e-commerce uh, hangs out there. Well, one piece of advice we give is try to um, try to make your data centers, try to make your offices dark to the internet. So that means cloaked them behind something else. We use uh, services like Zscaler, like, uh, you know, CloudWAF services like Cloudflare. And that, that can be quite useful in hiding um, a bunch of the attack surface um, from the internet. Uh, uh, on the flip side, there's some things that are often challenging to hide because the protocols, whatever, don't support that uh, in such a way. And that's where often DDoS mitigation services come in where your ISP um, offers you a, a, a service. But one of the things I think we've um, seen through this is not all DDoS mitigation services are built the same way. And sometimes where people um, re rely upon, uh, say, a, um, a brand, a big brand, they may think that that's the best thing to do. But um, it, it's quite a difficult uh, area, I think, to navigate, to understand, am I really getting um, what... Um, what I paid for. 
Uh, yeah, what are, what are your advice on that? It will yep. always be a trade-off with DDoS protection or whatever. Like, it's an, always a trade-off with security between usability and security and how, like, because again, you want your product to work and you want your business to be successful and generate revenue, but you don't want that to be heavily at the detriment of the amount of security processes you're going to put in place where you won't have the ability to generate that much revenue or grow your clients by X amount. So it's, it's very, very tough. And the more new people or new staff you get in, like we can talk about this forever, the more new processes could put in place, the more new technology gets put in place, the more attack surface you have. And before this specific plans that you had to keep that thing secure or no longer secure anymore because of this new cool feature that Amazon or Azure or whatever have put in place, you need to tweak your bits and pieces this much. And again, that then opens up an attack service that you forgot about because you've just closed that attack surface. It's um, it's never ending. Like that's, that's the way we have a job. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I, you know, I think with every new piece of technology, every new opportunity, uh, there's of course uh, additional risks, and we're going to see that more and more with you know, IoT, you know, um, self-driving cars, all sorts of things that are actually quite consequential in the real world, um, you know, from a security perspective. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll jump into a question on that, but just before I do, a reminder to anybody listening to um, drop a, uh, in, in any comments, any questions, and we'll um, get to uh, those to Ian. Uh, in the next minute or so, otherwise, um, just before we close up. Um, but otherwise, Ian, I think um, from um, my perspective, it seems like there's a education is a large piece of, of this. You know, if I'm a CIO or CDO, and I'm sitting there going, I'm watching this stuff, what do I do? Am I in the right position? Uh, I can pay consultants, um, but how do I know they're the right consultants? How do I know I'm getting the right advice? Where would you go if you're a? Um, or would you, where would you point uh, somebody in in a, in a uh, senior management position in IT to say this is where you should go to to understand a bit more around the the breadth of what your risks could be and really drive this conversation from the uh, the, the business perspective? These are the things you actually need to think about from a business mitigation perspective. Yeah, it's a very very good question, and there's there's a number of ways to answer this. So I'm um, taking the situation if you were CTO of a large organization. And there's a couple of things you can do. And I, I know there's a couple of things that certain CTOs that I would know well have done in the past to try and say, all right, who do we reach out to to help us with this thing? Whatever it is that this thing may be. A lot of it would be a lot of the CTOs I know are part of certain certain groups or collectives that have other CTOs on the on their meetup groups or whatever panels they may be. So meeting up and discussing with them who they currently use and what how their advice has gone and how their benchmarking have gone over time and if it's actually increased the security or the robustness of that business. Also really interesting or smart thing to do from my point of view is a lot of the people lower down that aren't CTOs that are in the technical stream of work, um, a lot of them know who the good guys are because they do technology all their lives. They go home and do technology. They do technology at nighttime. They do technology during the day. So reaching out to the people lower in the ranks and actually having discussions with them um, is a really good proactive thing to do because they may be on the internet chatting to people the whole time saying, well, I know my mate works at this company and they're very good X, Y, Z. Another thing as well too would be if you're trying to see if you're a big organization looking even potentially on the SRS panel, which is a government agency panel and seeing who is on the security panel and from that potentially going out and canvassing some of the, the security consultancies or providers there um, and then seeing from those, again, what comes back and what looks good, but I wouldn't just pick and stick. I wouldn't just go for one, the first thing you hear. Definitely have a conversation and see exactly how these organizations can add benefit. The only downside I would suggest from security is that a lot of these security companies like Zedek Security, I can't go into, if Instillery was a client of ours and say, oh, well, 
I don't know, Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook are all our clients, like all these huge companies, like we're not in a position to say these are great companies to gain some sort of reputation or some, okay, these guys are really good if they're using these people. We don't have the luxury and security of naming who our clients are. Um, so it's really understanding what sort of businesses ZX has worked for and what sort of things we've done in the past and showcasing that. Um, so definitely having a look at reports as well too and previous um, examples of things they've done that might be in your business industry as well would be huge to look at. Cool. So you may not get the tick, tick box from um, referenceability, but uh, dig a bit deeper, do your due diligence, ask for some samples, ask for um, how they work and understand that level of things. It's, um, it's good advice. Hey, just um, one question we've got, Ian, from uh, LinkedIn is, uh, once you have paid a ransom, uh, you'd potentially want to um, raise the existing environment to remove any back doors to you know make sure that they're they're out of the system that you don't get um, you know crypto locked or whatever in three months' time. What's your advice on that? Do you do you um, go scorched earth and build everything from the ground up? Uh, is there a, is there a reasonable assumption that actually if you pay your ransom you're going to be okay? What, what, what uh, well, yes and no, to be honest. I'll give you an example of yes and no very quickly. So there was a hotel in Europe recently, oh, this would have been a year or two years ago, that got ransomware for its door, the entry systems into the hotel rooms. They paid their ransom, didn't fix anything. Six months later, they got attacked again, paid their ransom. Six months later, they came back and got attacked again with the exact same, um, from the exact same people. So from that point of view, I would definitely, once you've paid the ransom, fix your environment. But also understand as well too, like uh, from your environment's point of view, exactly if you fix it, how that affects your business as well, because you may have to put a new, I don't know, a new thing in and that thing could completely destroy how your clients interact with you. So it, it, it's, it, it's a huge process and it's very bespoke. It's not exactly a yes and a no answer, unfortunately. Sure, so, so something you'd want to absolutely think about, um, and, um, and 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 how you might um, what you might do to mitigate um, against any lingering risk. Um, and we've also just got a comment come through. Important um, from Paul Caldwell. Important to realise that once you pay the ransom, your data is probably available for sale as well. So I guess that's an, that's probably a good follow up to say, yeah, um, you sure, know, um, how do you find out if your data is out there, uh, you know, being sold on the dark web, being traded? Um, what uh, what what would the process be to say how far has this thing gone? Yeah, and that's 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 a huge point as well too to make, and that's a great point by Paul because depending on the organizations, your your data, what is it, eighty five percent of assets these days are intangible assets. So your data is a huge intangible asset that you use to make you a market market competitor or not. So ways to kind of search to see if um, your data has been pushed out on the internet is reaching out to certain third party consultancies that can search the dark internet or the internet for those types of things. But what I would suggest, depending on your organization, is that if your business needs to survive, given the data you have, for example, if you are a sunglasses shop and you regularly contact all your clients saying, we've got these new sunglasses in so you can generate business. If you don't have that list anymore, you don't have a business. So even if it's out on the internet and your competitors have it, a competitive sunglasses shop, it's kind of irrelevant um, to a degree. There's definitely a reputation risk point of view, but again, it's all dependent on the organization, but I definitely do agree with what Paul said that, yeah, once it's done, it's done.
Yeah, and Paul's added, of course, now there's um, going to be mandatory notification as well to let people know that that's out there, which is, you know, I think, you know, both the reputational risk, but also actually means that um, businesses will uh, have to be, uh, you know, hopefully think more in advance around their protections. And secondly, um, do, do a better job um, mopping things up uh, should an incident occur. Just one thing I wanted to pick on there, Ian, is um, dark web. What is the dark web, uh, just in terms of a total layman's description, and what is the, you got to, data ends up on the dark web for sale, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so I'm going to go at a very high level here. So dark, the dark web or dark internet is another form of the internet that is a replica of the current internet, only that to a, to a large degree, you are anonymous on it. You can still be tracked down via using your own usernames on the normal web, on the normal web as on the dark web. I can go into a lot of detail here, but yeah, it, it's effectively a secondary internet that was originally created, I think, by the CIA or DARPA back in the day. It, um, no, no, no new infrastructure uh, uh, in this case. It's just um, a, a different sort of, I'll call it protocol to access that data over your existing yeah. internet connection. Yeah, and again, a lot of these, a lot of dark net has a lot of marketplaces akin to Amazon or akin to eBay um, that sells um, or provides certain services that would be illegal on the normal internet, such as selling drugs. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So it's um, not not just around data and uh, security. It's um, it's a, it's just a broad. Uh, it's another communication network as an overlay to the internet where um, more nefarious types may like to spend their time. Exactly. Not me. That's why I don't know too much about it. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> uh, we would trust a man in a swan dry. Um, exactly. Not be hanging out in those um, those shady places. Hey, um, Ian. Look. Thanks again for uh, uh, joining us. Always very insightful to talk to you. Um, and um, yeah, listen to what you have to say. Awesome, man. I really appreciate that. And always good to be on. Cool. And uh, thank you, everybody who's joined us today and for those who commented and asked questions. Cheers. Thanks, guys.